0: I'm Jonathan Mosen. Welcome to episode 32 of Mosen at Large, in which we'll be taking an extensive look at the iPhone SE second generation. Is this your next iPhone? We'll be telling you how you can participate in Mushroom FM's 10th birthday celebration, and we'll talk more tech, old and new. If you'd like to make a contribution that might be included on Mosin at Large, you can phone the listener line. That number in the United States is 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736. You can also make an audio or written contribution by email, jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com. We play a selection of the contributions we receive every week. It would be helpful if your message is concise due to the volume of contributions we receive and your contribution may be edited for brevity and clarity. A reminder that to help you navigate this long podcast, it is segmented by chapter. All the good podcast apps support chapters. That means you can skip forward and back between sections. I hope that you have had the best week that you can under the circumstances. It is a very difficult time for many people, and the death toll continues to rise in many countries I know that here in New Zealand we are more fortunate than most and they're having a big debate tomorrow at our cabinet about whether they're going to lift Alert Level 4 and take it down a notch, which would mean that we get our Uber Eats app back and you'll be able to go to restaurants to pick food up. You won't be able to go and eat in restaurants, but that will be a significant scaling back. We are still on track to eradicate the virus, but there are still a few cases lurking around. And sadly, there was a cluster of cases at a rest home in Christchurch. And that has caused several deaths. And we're up now, I think, to 11 deaths. So, you know, by comparison, we're doing well, but one death is too many, isn't it? And I know around the world, there are some really tough times. So thank you for joining me if you would like to report in and let me know how you're doing, where you are. We'd be delighted to hear from you. It is okay to be feeling uncertain and rattled by such a difficult time. And we can be honest with each other, right? That's what this little community that we've built over time is all about. Susan has an iPhone XR, and she's used to it. She's got used to the Face ID now. She doesn't mind that it doesn't have a home button, but she says it's very sensitive. It unlocks in her pocketbook, and Raise to Wake is off. And I suspect this is the setting where... It's probably getting knocked about a little bit in there. And there is a feature where if you touch the screen, it unlocks. And so if you can find that setting, I actually turn that off myself because I don't like the idea that simply by touching the screen, you wake the thing up. So there are two settings. There's Raise to Wake and then there's that other setting. And I suspect that that is what is going on there. I do want to give you, as they like to say in America, a bit of a heads up. About what's going to be on next week, whether you're listening to the Mosin Explosion Live or the Mosin at Large podcast. On next week's Mosin Explosion, when it starts at 2 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time, that, amazingly enough, will be exactly 10 years ago to the second that Mushroom FM started. And we started with a thing called Introducing Mushroom FM, it was a documentary. And we are going to be doing a three-hour show celebrating the 10th birthday of Mushroom FM. We're going to go into the archives a little bit, we'll tell a few stories, and we'll play a few old promos and fun things like that. But Mushroom FM, over the last 10 years, has touched thousands of lives, which is a heck of a privilege, and it's an honor to have been able to do it, and... I would be delighted and the whole Mushroom FM crew would be delighted if you'd like to share your congratulations and any special memories that you have of Mushroom FM. Now, you may have those as a listener, and it could be that you have been a fun guy at some time or other over the last 10 years. And we would love to get your recollections, your good wishes about Mushroom FM on its 10th birthday in an era where so many things on the Internet come and go. And, of course, we did go briefly and come back again. It is just so cool to be celebrating our 10th birthday. And certainly over the last few weeks, it's really become apparent just how much value we can add to this community and how much of a community we have built around Mushroom FM and we can all come together during difficult times. So it's going to be a special show, and you would be very welcome to be a part of it next week at this time when we celebrate 10 years of Mushroom FM. And there are all sorts of uh, fun stories and old promos and little show bits to play, but we'd love to get your congratulations as well. And you'll be able to contribute those in the usual ways. You can phone them in, you can email them with an audio attachment, or you can just uh, write them down. And of course, the day after that birthday celebration, on the 26th of April, we are having our virtual music festival. And it has been so cool over the last week to see the virtual stadium filling up with Mosin at large and Mosin explosion listeners so if you don't have your registration for our 12-hour music extravaganza that is going to air on mushroom fm here's how you do it and what are you waiting for i tell you when it comes to curing
1: the blues there's no better way than a great party and there's no better way to spice up a party than live music from the world's best entertainers. And That's exactly what you'll get when you join us for our all-day birthday party, Sunday, April 26th. It's, it's Mushroom Stock 2020. Stock 2020, an online rock festival like no other. Get your free ticket today and read all about it at mushroomfm.com slash mushroomstock2020. 20-minute live music sets from all your favorite artists. That plus lots of Fun interaction on Twitter with the hosts and one another. Sign up today and get your free ticket by going to mushroomfm.com slash mushroomstock twenty twenty. Mushroomstock twenty twenty. A rack festival to remember. And happy birthday, mushroom fm. The iPhone
0: SE, the new one. It is the talk of the place, and it seems like Apple has a winner on its hands with the iPhone SE. I say this because pre-orders opened on Friday, and already, when you look certainly at the US store, they are all the way back to mid-May now for deliveries of any iPhone SE model. And that suggests that they really have done well with this new model. So is it for you? Are you thinking about upgrading? Perhaps you have an older iPhone? And many people are in this position. For many blind people, especially where socioeconomics are an issue, getting an iPhone, which tend to be more expensive than Android devices, certainly lesser featured Android devices anyway, it's a sacrifice to get one of these iPhones. It's a big investment. And so people want to buy an iPhone and make it last. So, Is the iPhone SE, the new one, the right investment for you if you're the kind of person that makes your iPhone last and you get a lot of mileage out of it over many years? So let's take a look at what the iPhone SE is and isn't and what it has and what it doesn't have. And I'd be very interested in finding out whether you may have already pre-ordered a second generation iPhone SE. The first thing I would say is that it is not the same size as the older iPhone SE. And that is a little bit of a disappointment for some people because they love that very small form factor. That is not what you're getting with this new iPhone SE. They probably should have called it the iPhone 9. I believe there was some internal debate within Apple about whether to call it the iPhone 9 or not. There's still that gap there. We could still have an iPhone 9 in future, I suppose, theoretically. But they've gone with the name iPhone SE, which is an interesting choice. It is the same size as the iPhone 6 and 7 and, of course, the iPhone 8. What you really have with this phone is the externals of an iPhone 8. If you were to pick one up, you wouldn't be able to tell that it's not an iPhone 8. It uh, looks and feels the same. But the killer feature is that it has an A13 bionic chip in it. Uh geek out, Jonathan. Well, the practical side of that is that it is the same chip as you find in the current flagship phones. In other words, the same chip that they just put in to the iPhone 11 range. So that is really significant. They've also upgraded some other internals from the iPhone 8. You have Wi-Fi 6, which will future-proof you to some degree. Some people buy their own routers. Some people just wait for their internet provider to update them. Eventually you will probably have access to the Wi-Fi 6 standard, which is nice and fast. And that is important as broadband connections become faster around the world because one of the big bottlenecks with broadband is often the Wi-Fi these days. People have quite good fat pipes in many parts of the world coming into their home only to have the Wi-Fi as a bit of a constraint. So the fact that the new iPhone SE does support Wi-Fi 6, just like the new flagship iPhones do, is a very good thing. It also has faster gigabit LTE, which means that if you're out and about, then you've got good speed. And I'll come back to that a little bit later because that is going to be a significant factor, I think, in the choices that many people make with respect to this device. It has the same battery life as the iPhone 8. So you're not going to get the kick-butt battery life of an iPhone 11 Pro Max, for example, which is just, for me, one of the best things about that phone. It just goes on and on and on. It is amazing battery life because there's less space for the battery. But it's a perfectly respectable battery, similar specs there, to the iPhone 8 and of course if you're coming from the previous generation of the iPhone SE you will need to be aware that there is no headphone jack you can use the lightning to 3.5 adapter I don't believe that comes in the box anymore so you would need to purchase one of those and if you're going to depend on that you might want to purchase a couple because depending on where you use your lightning to headphone adapter they can be a little bit flimsy. So I always find it's good to have a spare. Many people, of course, have gone to wireless solutions such as AirPods, which have become very popular. And also, you do get the Lightning EarPods in the box. So you have little earbuds that you can plug into the Lightning port if you want. There's wireless charging in there, just like the iPhone 8. So that frees up the lightning port. If you want to, you can just lay it on a wireless charger, which you'll have to buy separately, and then you have the lightning uh, port free for other accessories. Stereo recording is available, but it is important to put this into some sort of context. The stereo recording on the built-in mics of the iPhone is only made available to Apple's built-in camera app. I think Apple's missed a trick here, and maybe in iOS 14, they might open up the stereo recording a bit more and make it available to audio apps. So no matter what audio app you use, they cannot hook in due to a limitation in the operating system to the stereo recording. So the only way to use that is to use the camera app and record a video and then it will record in stereo using the iPhone's internal mics. You can, of course, record in stereo on other apps if you attach some sort of accessory and that applies to all the iPhone range. So there's nothing constrained in the new iPhone SE in that regard. If you're coming from a device that had 3D Touch, such as the iPhone 8, in fact, that had 3D Touch, it has been replaced, as it has across the whole iPhone range now, by haptic touch. In practical terms, there's not a lot of difference. 3D Touch was quite difficult to produce. It added a little bit of thickness to the device, and they've taken that thickness of the 3D Touch and put bigger batteries on some of these devices. You can still firm press to get a context menu, and I'd encourage you to have a look at that if you haven't done a lot of firm pressing on the icons on your apps and the home screen. It is quite amazing, quite handy, the little context menus that pop up with handy features. For example, if you firm press or you can also triple tap as a voiceover user in iOS on the App Store icon, you get a cool little menu where updates are right there. And you can just double tap updates from there. It's actually more efficient than double tapping my account and then looking for the updates. So Haptic Touch is still, I think, acceptable for most people's use cases. Now, the latest flagship iPhones have a triple lens camera on the back, 12 megapixel cameras. What you get in this new iPhone SE is just a single rear camera. It's also 12 megapixel. Is that going to make a difference in practical terms for many blind people's use cases? Um, Probably marginal. The apps have to support some of the new API features to really make the most of the triple lens cameras. And I think for most people, unless you're doing really serious photography, you're going to be okay with that 12 megapixel camera on the back um, for apps like Seeing AI and Ira, What you don't have in the new iPhone SE are a couple of important things to think about. First of all, there is no U1 chip. And at the moment, that's a bit of a yawn. Like, who cares? The U1 chip in the iPhones at the moment is being used to help with airdrop and facilitating the accurate assessment of how close devices are to you so that if you want to airdrop to somebody on another iPhone sitting next to you, the chances are that if both phones have a U1 chip, it will prioritize that phone next to you compared with other phones in the vicinity. Which is, you know, nice, but who really cares? One thing that does appear to be a more significant consideration, though, is that when Apple releases the new Apple Tags, which we expect a little bit later this year, this is the tile competitor, where you're going to have these little things that you can affix to things, key rings, remote controls you might lose, etc. The U1 chip could make finding those things very very accurate, much more accurate than is possible with the Bluetooth solution that Tile is using. So if you get the new iPhone SE, what you may find is Apple tags are still going to work, but you might not quite get that precise level of location that you will with another iPhone from the current flagship range. Is it a deal breaker? Is it worth, say, paying an extra $300 for? For most people, no, it's probably not. Another consideration is that if you're plonking down cash on a new iPhone right now, bear in mind that you will get no 5G and the iPhone 12 range whenever it comes out and some analysts are suggesting that we might be about to see a little delay in the release of the iPhone 12, partly because of manufacturing constraints caused by COVID-19, but partly because of what the market will tolerate right now. Obviously, many people are struggling. Lots of people have been laid off or furloughed, and maybe the market's just not ready for a pricey new 5G whiz-bang iPhone, so Apple may sit on it for at least a couple of months. But when the iPhone 12 range comes out, that will be the first range of iPhones that has 5G. And again, if you are going to spend a lot of money on a brand new iPhone and hope that it lasts a very long time, 5G is a biggie. But then it depends on what you anticipate using the phone for. Even with the fast gigabit LTE of the iPhone SE, you can still stream easily without breaking a sweat. Netflix in high definition or 4K, not that that matters to most of us. But what I'm saying is you can, you can get very good speeds on a good 4G network. We just don't know where we'll all be, what applications will come out of the hopper in the next two or three years as 5G becomes more commonplace. So for me, that's probably the biggest risk, getting a new iPhone SE with no 5G But for many people, it's absolutely something you can live with, especially if you're spending a lot of time on Wi-Fi, where you can easily upgrade to Wi-Fi 6. Now, there is Touch ID in the iPhone SE, the new one. And that may actually be a real plus for a lot of blind people for two reasons. I don't actually have any difficulty with Face ID, and I like its speed. It's fine for me. I know a lot of blind people seem to struggle with it. And I think there are some training issues there. It's probably one of those things where it's quite hard to train people on the use of Face ID without being face-to-face with them to find out what they're doing. You know, I often find that people are holding the phone too close or not holding it at quite the right level, various things like that. But it's hard to know those things without being in front of them to see how they're holding the phone. So Touch ID for many people is simpler, but there's also a specific blindness user case For touch ID. And that is that many of us walk around with the phone in a pocket and we don't need to take it out of our pocket because we can just unlock it and listen to it over the speaker or AirPods or whatever. So there's a convenience. And I'll tell you another interesting advantage of going with touch ID at the moment. If you are in a country where your health authorities are recommending that you use face masks when you're out in public, That is likely to cause issues for Face ID. Now, you can store two profiles on an iPhone now for Face ID. So, what you could do, so I have mine set up so that Bonnie can unlock my iPhone and I can unlock hers. But what you could potentially do is set up one profile when you're wearing a face mask and one when you're not. And that might help. But of course, it depends on whether the face masks that you have are consistent. You know, whether they looked look the same. So Touch ID in a face mask era could be a very compelling proposition. And the killer feature of the iPhone SE for many people will be the excellent price point. So you've got a 64 gigabyte device coming in at $399. That's 300 US dollars cheaper than anything in the flagship iPhone range. And a lot of people who are finding times very tough at the moment will be asking am i really getting $300 plus extra value by going with these other devices and for many people the answer will be no so i actually think that apple has headed out of the park with this iphone se it's a really good fast capable device they deserve a lot of credit for putting the a13 chip in that device And I think it's probably going to fly off the shelves. The size that you get will, of course, depend on how you use your phone. These days, if you're connected to Wi-Fi a lot or you have very generous LTE plans and you're using services like Apple Music and Spotify streaming music services, you may not have a requirement to store a lot of data on your phone. You probably want a bit there for videos and photos and things that you do want to have actually on the device. But for many people, a 64 gigabyte phone at $399 will be just fine. You know, that's quite an acceptable option. So, have you pre-ordered yet? Many people have. And if you have, I'd be very interested to see what you make of the phone, how much you like it, how much of a speed improvement you notice when it arrives. And that should start arriving on the 24th of April.
2: Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast.
0: Mickey Quenza is listening to us. Welcome to you, Mickey. He says that he is putting together some cassettes of a newsletter, and he says people still use them. Well, there's a contrast. Here we are talking about the latest whiz bang iPhone, and Mickey is working on cassettes. What intrigues me is the way that some of these older things are coming back into fashion. My son, who is actually an audio engineer in training, he's doing audio engineering school and doing very well with it too. He has got my old Philips turntable from the 1980s, which he has refurbished with a fancy cartridge, you know, a new new cartridge on the thing, a new stylus and all that. And he's got a three-head cassette deck, and he actually goes and buys these second-hand vinyl albums and also cassettes. But I understand that even cassettes now, because there are some new albums available on vinyl, and apparently cassettes are making a comeback. I find this extraordinary. I mean, (laughs) in the 1980s, when CDs came along, we couldn't wait to be rid of the bloody vinyl and cassettes and things, you know, the, the hiss of cassette. And, of course, If you started playing your cassette too much, you got a bit of dropouts. And cassettes were never that good quality anyway. And, of course, they could get twisted, especially the C120. I remember having the 120-minute cassette, 60 minutes on each side, and you'd record all sorts of cool things, but the tape on the C120s was so thin, so thin, that that often get twisted and you'd lose all this good quality stuff. Although cassette technology did move on quite nicely. I remember getting a Denon cassette deck I had a thing called Dolby DBX, at a Dolby B and C with DBX it was practically hissless because they were using some sort of weird noise reduction algorithm so cassettes actually did start to sound reasonably okay, quite an achievement because it was all only going at 1 and 7 8 inches wasn't it ah. anyway it's funny how these technologies just don't quite go away so good on you for serving the cassette market i used to like those aph four track machines those quite big ones and they had that little hole in the center of the cassette door you could put your hand in and feel the feel the tape going round and round and of course some naughty kids used to like trying to obstruct that wheel that that could cause you serious trouble Jane in California is listening to us, and she says that uh, she's excited about the iPhone SE. She likes the smaller size. Uh, I, you know, I think a lot of iPhone SE users like the really small size of the iPhone SE, that the previous generation. And uh, sadly, that has gone, it seems. They are not going to produce a phone that small ever again. So it's kind of ironic that they're calling it the iPhone SE because a lot of people went for the iPhone SE because they didn't like the size of the 6, 7, and 8, even the, the non-plus version. I'm non And now they're calling it the iPhone SE, even though it's the same size of the phones that people didn't like when they bought the original one. <laughs> that That's progress or something. Hello, Jonathan.
3: How are you? My name is Anil. Hello, Anil. Last week, as you know, google started offering braille screen input for android i tried to use it but i am not able to enable it i don't know if it is the problem of samsung phones or particular samsung model i am using samsung galaxy m20 m as in mic so at the point where the problem occurs is when i go to settings Accessibility, TalkBack, their TalkBack settings, then Braille keyboard Then it says tap to set up Braille keyboard When I tap it, it says tap settings below to enable Braille keyboard When I tap that settings, it says Braille keyboard switch button off, disabled
0: So I don't know how can I enable it. That's frustrating, isn't it? And uh, maybe somebody in Android land or maybe specifically in Samsung land can tell us what's going on. What's going on and why you might be having that trouble. Christopher Wright is also chiming in on the Android Braille keyboard. He says, here are my initial thoughts on the TalkBack Braille keyboard. I'm using an original Google Pixel and it's a pretty positive experience so far. My major irritation right now is the orientation of the Braille dots. I don't like having dots 1 and 4 at the bottom of the phone. I would prefer to have them at the top. I must flip the phone the other way around, which fixes this. Unfortunately, it also reverses the swipe gestures to delete characters, add new lines, etc., There is a uh, reverse the dot positions feature, but rather than flipping the Braille cell upside down, it appears to reverse the cell itself, i.e. dots 1, 2, 3 are now on the right and 4, 5, 6 are on the left. I had a similar experience with Braille screen input when it first came out, this is on the iPhone, and didn't get fully comfortable using it until iOS 10. Hopefully, he says, the situation will improve as time marches on. Nevertheless, this is a great addition to Android. I also love the fact that Google included a detailed tutorial with the feature. Hopefully, things will only get better from here. I would also love to see multi-touch gestures come to TalkBack, as well as Braille support baked directly into the screen reader. Thank you, Christopher. It is good that Android is doing the whole tutorial thing. They've done a very good job with that in TalkBack. When you run TalkBack and you get into that little tutorial that teaches you the gestures and things like that, it is a slick experience, reminiscent of what you get on the Mac, in fact, when you run VoiceOver there. So it is, to me, a case where Apple has missed a trick, not offering something similar. In iOS,
4: hey Jonathan, this is Andy Rupture talking to you from Northern Maine, USA. Oh, my main man! And uh, I just wanted to make a few remarks about stuff that you were talking about. But first, I'm going to take this great opportunity to reverb you. Oh my! Oh As my you've word! Done to me, so yeah. many times. It's a reverb wolf. over my Sunday morning coffee on your podcast, and I'm with you on Jaws being at this moment at least, the most productive and best way to for me to get stuff done. Uh, but boy, don't I like having the alternatives, because if I'm working on someone else's computer, I can just turn on Narrator and try to figure out what's going on with their computer instead of like the old days where you had to install your screen reader of choice. And back in those days, for me at least, it was window eyes. And my other remark is about the laptop layout. When I was first teaching myself to use JAWS instead of window eyes, I consciously decided that laptop was the way for me to go, and uh, it's worked out okay for me for the last few years. Anyhow, great talking to you, especially good listening to you, and you take care. Kerry Regan is listening to us in New York. Hi, Kerry. Kerry says,
0: love that the new SE will retain the home button and touch ID and wireless charging sounds really cool. Only real downside for me is the size. Pockets in most women's clothing just aren't that big. Yes, I guess so. I mean, I've never really worn any, but what about the voluminous handbag slash pocketbook a lot of women seem to carry around? It never ceases to amaze me what is in Bonnie's handbag and what can fit in there it's a marvel I tell you it's a marvel and Susan Constantini she says turn off tap to touch the screen it worked you are amazing she says thank you well you're welcome it's frustrating I really do hate that feature so I'm glad you found it and that you turned it off At large podcast. Howard Goldstein is listening to us. Hi, Howard. He says a couple of completely unrelated questions for you. First, I loved the parody of Donald Trump that you played on episode 29 of Mosin at Large and would like to know where you got it. The voice, pauses, and other Trump mannerisms were perfect. It was hilarious, wasn't it? Who did that? And whoever did that should have been given credit. I agree, and I wish I could tell you. I don't know. It was sent to me by a listener, and it was part of a dig post. So dig is one of those places you can go to mark particular items as interesting. It's a bit like Reddit in some ways, but I guess a little bit more limited than Reddit. And so I don't know. I I was looking really hard to try and find it somewhere else so I could give attribution. I don't know who did it or where it came from, Howard, but you're right. It was absolutely incredibly funny and well done, too. My other question is about Zoom. In your book, thanks for making it freely available, by the way, you explained how to share computer audio. I assume that this worked because in your example, everything was going through the same sound card. My computer has a very basic sound card, but I use a USB mic. Is it possible to get my microphone and other computer audio to come through Zoom together? Yes, it is. When you share your computer audio, it doesn't in any way change the fact that your default microphone is still in use. And when you share audio, it will take audio from your default sound card and you'll be able to do both. So there should be no problem if I'm understanding your question correctly, in terms of doing what you want to do, you'll still be heard and you will be able to have your audio from your default sound output source also to be heard. So actually, while the quality might not be the best, Zoom is a good way to do screen reader demos of apps and that kind of stuff. And I think I did cover that in the book. Christopher Wright says, I'm curious if you or other listeners have experienced a strange audio issue while using computer sound on Zoom for Windows. In my testing, this does not appear to be a problem on Mac OS. When you start sharing sound, the audio reduces in volume, distorts, and generally sounds awful when other people in the meeting begin talking or otherwise transmitting from their microphones. This occurs even if the person sharing the audio has original sound and stereo enabled. The workaround is to have all other participants mute their microphones. I suspect this is either a feature or bug When Zoom detects someone is talking, it must apply some noise cancellation feature so that the other people can be heard. This is the only logical thing I can think of, but it's extremely irritating. It irritates me. I've tried to contact Zoom concerning this issue for months, but it appears they are either unwilling or unable to fix it. If you have any ideas on how to solve this, please let me know. My workaround aside from having everyone else mute their microphones, is to use a hardware mixer. Obviously, these are not acceptable solutions, particularly for those who don't have mixers or other means of capturing system audio in VoIP calls. Since we're talking about Zoom audio, he continues, I'm also curious to get your take ...on the mobile apps for iOS and Android. The sound quality from other participants is not as high quality as it is on a desktop operating system, even if others are using the desktop versions with the audio settings enabled. I have noticed that both apps do not allow you to hear stereo audio or use the original sound feature. Contacting Zoom about this has resulted in absolutely no change. Which leads me to believe once again that they are unable or unwilling to change the situation. What are your thoughts? I'm so happy Zoom is as accessible and powerful as it is. It's my top chat app, along with Team Talk. I haven't found any other voice chat services besides the two listed above that provide extremely high quality stereo sound. TeamTalk is the only app that provides stereo support on mobile devices. I hope Zoom can fix their security issues and people continue using it. It's a fantastic product. Thank you for your excellent audio tutorial. Thank you, Christopher. Oh, man, there's a mouthful there. Where do I begin? Uh, Regarding your first issue in Windows, I wonder if it's possible that you have your stereo mix options selected as the default output so that what's happening is that when you share your sound zoom is picking itself up and you are triggering zoom's echo cancellation algorithm it sounds very much like it to me are you sure that you have your say like a just a plain vanilla wave out selected as your default output and not stereo mix because if it's a stereo mix setting that will definitely do what you're saying it does regarding your second point original sound is now available in at least the ios app i don't use android but it is available in ios and that came in an update that was released about a week and a half ago so, if you uh, fossic around, fossic around in the settings, you will now find that use original sound is an option that is available. I suspect they're using a slightly lower bitrate codec overall on mobile to conserve people's bandwidth when people are coming in from an LTE connection and where latency may be just fractionally more. But, yep, original sound is certainly now available on Zoom for iOS. Regarding good quality stereo sound, I agree that TeamTalk is a great app, but it's hella geeky. I mean, it really is geeky. And I think I might have mentioned this before. If you're working, say, in a podcast environment with people who are going to be the same every week, you can talk them through setting up Team Talk and um, connecting to the right server and tweaking all the things that can be tweaked, and that's great. But for me, the go-to app... For podcast recording or, in fact, live streaming. If you listen to the boards that I've been doing on Mushroom FM, where I brought people in as remote guests, particularly when they have a really good quality microphone, people have said to me, How the hell are you doing that? Because it sounds like they're in the room with you. And the answer is Clean Feet. I just don't have enough good things to say about Clean Feet. It is an amazing tool and it's actually being used by broadcasters particularly in the UK, quite extensively. And you can go to cleanfeed.net, and the nice thing is that their basic service is free. Free! Cleanfeed.net, so you can sign up for a free account and use a lot of the features. The multi-tracking and other things, they are a part of Cleanfeed Pro, and you can also do nice things which audio geeks will appreciate, like being able to specify your own output device as opposed to using the Windows default output device in the um, free version of Cleanfeed, multi-track recording is just so easy. So when everybody's arrived, you just hit the record button, and then when you've done all you need to do, you hit the download all button, and it downloads a zip file. Inside that zip file is a wave file, one for each of your participants. And I've not actually yet struck a limit to the number of people you can have in a Cleanfeed session. So you can use it for live streaming. You could even use it for high-quality video uh, audio conferencing if you are a musician, for example, and you want to play music. Obviously, there's some latency there, but it's stereo, and uh, it's using the Opus codec. So you can use it for live streaming or podcast recording, and it's really good. We're doing a lot of work on the Mushroom FM birthday celebration at the moment, and we're using CleanFeed exclusively for that. It is super, and it requires the Chrome browser. It's using WebRTC and Opus, and they're responsive to suggestions as well. There are a couple of little accessibility issues that I brought to their attention, and they fixed them within hours. They do have sort of embryonic iPhone support uh, in Safari. It's a little bit glitchy, but it's nice because there's nothing to install, you see. That means that you can just give somebody a link. They go to the page, and they accept that Chrome is asking for use of the microphone, but that's all there is to do. And that's the beauty of it. It's nowhere near as geeky as Team Talk. The one thing that Team Talk does that CleanFeed doesn't yet do, and I really would like CleanFeed to add this and I've been talking to them about it, is that if you have a whole bunch of people in a CleanFeed session, you can't pan each participant to get a really nice stereo spread. If you want to broadcast live with people and just have them moving a little bit across the stereo spectrum, you can obviously do that with the multi-track feature because when you've got a wave file for every participant, you can pan each wave file in Reaper, you know, put it on its own track and, um, add different compression to compensate for the mics they're using and all that kind of geekery jiggery pokery
5: Hey
1: Jonathan, it's Tim Cummings Tim! And I just wanted to submit a little audio review for some of your listeners you've been having a lot of discussion about good microphones for the iPhone and iPad and iDevices and I would recommend this mic that I'm using right now into my uh, iPhone SE, it's the MXL MM one three zero that's the model number mm one three zero it's a handheld microphone it's got some kind of unique characteristics it's actually two mics in one so it has two recessed switches that you can operate with say like a stylus one of them is a high low uh, volume switch audio switch and the other one changes the microphone from a cardioid pattern to an omnidirectional pattern right now it is using the cardioid pattern which means that it picks up everything in front of the microphone and rejects things off to the sides in the back. I'm now going to switch it over to the omnidirectional pattern so you can hear how that sounds. So now we've got the omnidirectional pattern. You're really getting kind of two microphones in one. Uh, One end of the cable, it comes with a six-foot cable, one end of the cable has a three-pin XLR female, and the other end of the cable has a male TRRS tip ring ring sleeve plug on it, which, if you've got an older iPhone like the SE, you can plug right into the headphone jack, or if you've got an iPhone that has one of the, that just has the lightning port, you can plug it into the lightning port with that little 3.5 millimeter connector. So the mic works very well with the iPhone. And like I said, you're getting kind of two microphones in one. Also on the cable, there is a built-in headphone jack, so you can actually monitor your, your recordings while you're recording. So just a little recommendation that some of your listeners might want to check out if they want a nice interview microphone that'll do double duty form that works with their iOS devices.
0: Genius! Thank you very much, Tim. That was a really informative and and, and concise review. And based on your audio, it sounds like a very nice microphone.
5: Hi, Jonathan. It's Tanya Harrison here.
2: Hi,
0: Tanya. I
5: think in New Zealand, in a lot of ways, we've been fairly fortunate that we haven't been through horrific crises in our time until now. Whereas other countries went through things like 911. And, you know, so the thing I've been wondering is with the severe peak in unemployment that is happening throughout the Western world and probably other parts of the world too, I think that often as blind people, we can struggle with the courage to get out there and put ourselves out there to apply for jobs. And personally... I'm really struggling with, at the moment, putting myself out there, putting my energy into that when I know that now, because of unemployment rising, that more and more people are going to be applying for this job. It feels like stepping into the sea and hoping I'll make it, say, from Wellington to Australia without thinking or not being able to get home. So my question is this. For anyone that's been through any kind of crisis, how have you kept courage? We would say here, how have you kept your pecker up? What has helped you realise that even though your country is going through crisis, what is your uniqueness that you can add to something when you know that many other people who some employers might think are more qualified because they don't have a disability? have a better chance
0: than you. Thank you, Tanya. Interesting question. I suppose the way that I would think about this is that there's only one thing that is certain. There's a lot of uncertainty around the world at the moment, but the one thing that is certain is that if you don't get out there, if you don't put yourself out there and apply for a job, you're not going to get the job. That's absolutely certain. I mean, without submitting an application for a job, you're not going to get the job. And so it may be tough. And I think that... Organisations involved in supporting disabled people into employment and also government have to have a think about whether the public policy parameters are correct at the moment and whether now might be a time to further incentivize employers to hire disabled people. And I think that there is a real um, argument to be made that a lot more public education needs to take place. So there are all sorts of levers in a public policy context that might be pulled. But in terms of the way that we as individuals treat this situation, I would say that, look, we've just got to keep putting ourselves out there. And what I've been encouraging a lot of people to do is to use this time when so many business are closed down for now and not hiring to make us the best possible job candidates we can be. And that really involves using a lot of the free resources that are out there. For example, Freedom Scientific offers a wealth of free training on Microsoft Office applications. So do Microsoft themselves. There are many other resources out there. So it's about really feeling a sense of empowerment and taking control of the situation, really being ready to hit the ground running that if we do get the opportunity, whereas knowledgeable as we can be about our assistive technology and the applications that are common in the workplace, there's absolutely no doubt that the majority of the world's businesses use Windows and the majority use Microsoft Office. So being familiar with those applications and JAWS, frankly, because JAWS is really the only option for working with those proprietary applications in a workplace, And that's why I've always been really concerned that uh, people do themselves a huge disservice by going with free, less capable solutions if they're in the job market. Because when you do go to a workplace, chances are you could encounter some sort of proprietary environment that's going to require some screen reader configuration, particularly for optimal use. So if you're in an environment where a client calls you and you instantly need to press a key and get information about any interaction that that client or customer has had with the organization before, jaw scripting is the way to get that done. I think if we treat obtaining a full-time job as our current full-time job and really ask ourselves at the end of the day, the question, what have I done today to help me get closer to my goal, to make my goal a reality? And it could be, okay, I've spent a couple of hours looking, searching in the job market, applying for what jobs there are. And of course, at the moment, we're in exceptional times where there just may not be very many at all with so many businesses around the world closed down. But then you can say, okay, and I've also upskilled myself. Uh, I learned a few really useful, practical things about Microsoft Word today. I did some Googling and I found uh, the keyboard shortcuts for an Office application. And I committed some of the most frequently used ones to memory. It's about feeling like you have control. And so those are a few suggestions that I would make. And I would certainly welcome other people's feedback on keeping a sense of control over one's destiny in a crisis situation. It's a very good question. Kathy Blackburn is in Austin. She was in Austin the week before. In fact, I think she's been in Austin all the time. She's been contacting this show. And she says, first of all, Audley and I are well so far. I had my 70th birthday earlier this month. Well, belated happy birthday, Kathy. Audley will be 74 in October. So we're in the demographic that people worry about. Austin is in Travis County. When you lived in Texas, did you learn that there are 254 counties? I didn't know there were that many, actually, Kathy, No. Today's Austin American statesman says our county has 1,074 cases of COVID-19. There have been 21 deaths. Siri states that the number of COVID-19 cases in Texas is 18,084, with 456 deaths. The governor brags about the number of test kits he's been able to get hold of but who knows if those numbers are true. We both have the iPhone 8. Audley says he wants the new phone, even though he has had his phone for only a few months. Well, I reckon if Audley wants it, Audley should have it. You know, especially in these times. Kind of the equivalent of comfort food. And we can't get any food delivered here.
2: Mosin at large
0: There was one thing I didn't mention about the new iPhone SE that is, again, different from the iPhone 8, and that is that the iPhone SE, second generation, has eSIM support, which is really cool. So it's nice to know that they have um, the dual SIM feature, so you can use a physical SIM, as we always have, and you can use eSIM, which is great, particularly if you are traveling. What's traveling, you ask? (laughs) So you might be able to have an eSIM for your main carrier that you use when you're at home. And then you've got your SIM slot free so that if you travel overseas, you can put a physical SIM from a local carrier into the SIM slot and use that. Um, We really both like the eSIM functionality of the iPhones. And in fact, we did it the other way for Bonnie. So we didn't have carriers that did eSIM for a while in New Zealand, but T-Mobile supported eSIM quite quickly with an app that you could get from the U.S. App Store. So even before Bonnie last went to the United States, I was able to get that app and it um, was possible for me to get her a T-Mobile plan and phone number and have the eSIM downloaded to her phone all configured and ready to go all done from new zealand so when she got off the plane she was able to switch on her u.s number while also continuing to be available on her new zealand number thanks to the physical sim
6: genius hey jonathan this is daniel montover here from madrid hi, and Daniel. today with me is also karina from u.s
2: hi jonathan again
6: <laughs> i hope uh you are doing okay in uh, you know the confinement here the figures uh, for death people are just terrible i mean we we surpassed today 20,000 death people yeah. uh, which is absolutely dramatic here uh but you know this is what we have and we have to cope with this and we really need that this somehow starts slowing down uh figures also say that it's started to happen so we it seems that that during last week uh the number of of deaths is growing but it's growing more slowly than it was growing before which is kind of good news even even after the the figures that we have i did a concert because i used to be a musician and i say i used to be because now (laughs) I don't used to play anymore, but before, I think it's uh, five or six years since I last played live or something. So, yeah, we just put, you know, the mixer together and we took the bikes the uh, to the living room and we I, I took the guitar and, and hmm. uh, we did that uh, last Monday. It was through Facebook Live and it was very good to actually to know that you can actually you know, play audio through your iPhone if you use the camera connection kit, and you of course has uh, have have a mixer, a USB mixer, or or USB audio interface. You just plug that into the camera connection kit, and that, that goes to the iPhone, and you can actually use the Facebook Live application to stream and to broadcast broadcast live. We also try to pair a Braille display to oh, uh, yeah. Jaws. Using Bluetooth, the whole my God! <laughs> you know that process needs to be at some time revisited by by freedom folks. I mean, it's it. You have to say yes, I want to use Bluetooth. You have to go to the Jaws, you know, uh, settings and say yes, I want to use Bluetooth, and and Jaws tells you, hey, you've changed the parameters. You need to restart, and you say yes, I want to restart, and then you have to accept the Braille dialogue, and then you have to actually restart the Jaws, and then you actually have to wait until the Braille display comes up if it comes up because you know sometimes it just fails and doesn't come up so I would really appreciate you know freedom taking a pass on that and and probably fixing that a little bit making more you know more more, more easy to use more pleasant for the user if I, if I want to use Braille display and you need to restart the program for this to work I'm, I'm not gonna get into that if, if that's the case then then so be it I mean just give me a chance to say yes I want to restart the program <laughs> if I press yes I will restart the, the you know the program and I will it will come up, hopefully. Uh, we have to say once it's paired and working it really works. I mean it's it's a very stable connection. So uh, we have some some glitches and we have some drops when we use uh, the Focus playlist Play with the uh, iOS devices. It it just doesn't work. I mean uh, that's the real, the real start of, uh, state of the art uh, with with braille in in iOS. It just drops. Uh, you, you are writing, and you sometimes find yourself that everything you wrote, it's not picking <laughs> up by the by the device. But once you paired it with JAWS, the Bluetooth connection is so 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 solid, so stable. It just it just works. I mean, it's 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 wonderful.
0: Well, your Facebook Live sounds like just the thing to listen to, Daniel. Good to hear from you both. And I know that it has been a very tough time in Spain. So we send you the very best wishes. I tell you what, I have become quite disillusioned with the audio quality of uh, so many things during this COVID-19 crisis and the blatant disregard that so many commercial broadcasters actually pay to audio during these times. You hear people coming in on God knows what, Skype or Zoom or whatever, and they're using these webcams, and there is so much room ambience. This is one of the things about my hearing impairment is that room ambience bounce. It really affects my ability to understand. It really affects my intelligibility threshold there. And I have heard so many interviews and podcasts being produced on Skype. We just had one, and uh, if you if you look for it, it's called Inside Parliament from our local broadcaster, Television New Zealand, TVNZ. And these political journalists are talking about the current situation in New Zealand, and so obviously that's of interest to me. And I played this podcast last night, and it was appalling. It's I think there are three or four people on this podcast, and they're all using these awful webcam microphones. And to be in the view of the camera, they're obviously some distance from the webcam and they sound appalling and there's little glitchy buffering and there's horrible echo and it's just really, really bad. If you are a commercial broadcaster, you'd think that you would take pride enough in your audio to give these people lapel mics, you know, get a good USB lapel mic. If they don't want to be seen wearing a headset, and I guess I get that, if it looks too sort of geeky or whatever, give them a lapel mic and set that as your audio source. For goodness sake, it's just disgusting. So it's good that you have taken the time to work out that you can connect your mixer to your iPhone. And uh, I try and use Facebook as little as possible, but I have to admit there have been some really cool initiatives being done by people on Facebook and I've also read in the tech press that quite a few people who abandoned Facebook as a point of principle have at least gone back there for now because it's a way of connecting with people during these extraordinary times. Follow-up from Christopher. He says, I'm not using StereoMix or anything like that. My output device is set to the default audio device on my system. I've experienced the problem on all my devices that run Windows. I've updated Zoom to the latest version, but this is still happening even if I clean install Windows and Zoom. Gee, it must really irritate you, Chris. (laughs) I have disabled the setting in the Windows sound settings under the communications tab to lower the volume of sounds while in a call. Do you have any more ideas? No! You've been very thorough there, Christopher. It's great, he says. Zoom has enabled original sound on the mobile apps. Hopefully, they can enable stereo support at some point as well. Mosin
1: at Large Podcast!
7: Hello, Jonathan. This is Gary O'Donoghue. Uh, Gary. Just a couple of things I wanted to say very quickly, if I can. For your listeners who you were talking to the other week about the Rode SC6L dongle and the SmartLav mic, uh, I'm recording this contribution on that combination, just actually using the ordinary voice recorder app on the iPhone, But so people get an idea of how it sounds. And I'm in a pretty reflective room with hardwood floors, and I think it does a pretty good job. The thing I really wanted to mention to, to you as an audiophile and to all your listeners, those of them who I know a lot of audiophiles out there, is the Zoom F6 recorder, which I've just got. Uh, and there are two specific things I want to say about it from a visually impaired uh, perspective. Uh, it's not a cheap recorder, by the way. It's a $650 recorder, so it is a pro-level recorder, really, prosumer level recorder but there are two things that I think are uh, kind of bordering on the revolutionary about it for a blind person number one it supports what's called 32-bit float recording Uh, this is a pretty new thing in terms of audio um, recording Uh, and effectively effectively I say this means that the days of being able to clip your audio to over mod your audio are gone Uh, this is a a form of recording that really uh, is so flexible in terms of dynamic range that you can't really overload it. So even if you might record something that would blow things away normally, you take it into your DAW, the 32-bit float file, you simply take down the gain and the the peaks reappear on the waveform and uh, your recording is restored. Similarly, with something recorded at, at almost no gain at all, can be pumped up without any any sort of raising of the sound floor. This is, I think, for for us who often have trouble monitoring levels, this is absolutely revolutionary. And the F6 is one of the few recorders now on the market that does this 32-bit float recording. So that's the first thing to say. The second thing I wanted to say quickly is that it comes with an iOS app, and it's only iOS, as I understand it, no Android app at the moment. But this iOS app, uh, with a Bluetooth dongle plugged into the side of the F6, allows amazing levels of control of the recorder, including the menus. Now, it doesn't allow all of the menus to be controlled, but vast amounts you can set. So you can set the gain for each channel, you can set phantom power, you can set the limiters, you can set the high-pass filters, you can name the file that you're recording, you can name the folder that you're recording into... And from the main screen, you can see how long elapsed is the time that your recording has been going on for. You can see slightly weird indication of battery level, but you can see battery level from the iPhone screen. Um, You can see, uh, I mean, all sorts of uh, access. I mean, there are parts of the menus, as I say, that aren't accessible at the moment. I'm going to get on to Zoom about that. But they have made an accessible app that allows you to drive large functions of this pro level recorder it has six xlr inputs i won't go into the general spec about it but i'm very very excited about it even though it's incredibly expensive it it offers a level of accessibility that i've never come across before for us other than perhaps when we had the ls100 um olympus but this this is this is amazing i'll try and do some sort of recording on it at some point and And go through it, but I just thought I'd let people out there know because I know you have so many audio files listening. That's all from a locked down DC where we now have to go out with with masks on if we're going to get in an Uber or go to the grocery store.
0: Yes, and there's so much debate about the efficacy of masks for members of the public. So we're being told that they're not effective for members of the public, and I believe that's also been the position in the UK as well. So it's all very confusing when the scientists can't agree. Now, Gary, you're a naughty man. I was sitting here screaming with the microphone off. I need to get this. Uh, This is exactly the reason why I was so hesitant about getting the H6 for so long, because I don't like the idea of having to memorize menus and look at cheat sheets and things. There was another device made by, I think it's called Sound Devices, which has a similar thing where you've got an app and I think... There's a Windows version as well, and you have a huge range of hotkeys, I believe, in the Windows version. Uh, Sound devices stuff is very expensive. The floating point recording is very interesting because, obviously, monitoring levels in real time is an issue when you don't have an accessible level meter. And the other thing for me, as someone with a hearing impairment, is it can sometimes be hard to pick up on the clipping. So... That is really interesting. Uh, my word, my birthday is this coming Friday. And um, what will I do with my H6? I, I wonder if there are any cons of switching to the F6 from the H6.
2: Mosin at Large Podcast.
0: Hi, Jonathan says, Addie, recently in one of your podcasts, you mentioned you'd taken the plunge and subscribed to YouTube Premium. Yeah, you get YouTube music as part of that. I'm also planning to take a similar plunge. Woo! How good, good idea? Because you're in India, aren't you? Where they've locked down 1.3 billion people, which is quite extraordinary. And so you've probably got a bit of time. However, uh, I would like your thoughts regarding YouTube Premium Music Service and your experience using it with voiceover. My current setup is that I listen to Apple Music on my Sonos, and for my YouTube, I prefer my bedside Bose speaker. I'm enjoying my current arrangement. However, I understand that YouTube Premium can also be played on Sonos. Have you used Sonos for YouTube Premium? If yes, what's your experience like? Well, I have not had a lot of luck with YouTube Music on Sonos, actually. What happens is that you're supposed to get a code of some kind that you have to enter and try as I might, or as often people like to say, for the life of me, which is a very strange expression. I don't know where that comes from. For the life of me, I could not get it to work. It could be because I have a New Zealand Google account and we have our region for Sonos set to the US because we want Sirius XM, which we use all the time. On the Sonos for things like the Beatles channel and things. So I wasn't able to get it to work, but I haven't tried for a while. The YouTube music app on iOS is nice and accessible. And actually, Google does a pretty good job these days of their offerings on iOS. So you should have no trouble with that. And you can, of course, either airplay or cast YouTube music to wherever you would like to send it. If your devices have that capability. Bill Jolly is in Australia. Hi, Bill. Nice to hear from you. He says, I've been listening to your weekly podcasts, and I warmly congratulate you on a fantastic sequence of content-rich programs. Thank you very much. I recall that a few weeks ago, you mentioned the approach in South Korea as being somewhat different from the lockdown approach, which we are both enduring across the Tasman. My youngest daughter lives in South Korea with her husband and little baby. She teaches English and has been off work since late February. Schools are still closed, so she's unable to work. There is some degree of social distancing, but coffee shops, bars and restaurants remain open for business, and people wear masks when out in public. The main social disruption appears to be that schools remain closed. New infections are relatively low, and are mostly from returning international travellers. Same old story, isn't yes, it? Knowing your interest in global politics, I've posted below an article from The Guardian. And there's a URL here. So I'm going to include that URL in the show notes for the podcast. But essentially what it's saying is that South Korea obviously went through a period of dictatorship. Then that period ended and democracy came to South Korea. And there's been a lot of emphasis placed on things like health care and social good and a real determination that things will get better there. And that's been reflected in the public policy decisions that have been made with regard to COVID-19. It is really interesting. It goes to show that in a situation like this, in a pandemic situation, leadership really does make a difference.
5: Hey, Jonathan, it's Tiffany. listening from Kentucky again. Yay! I had a question for you about iOS thirteen four point one, 4.1, uh, the latest iPhone update. I Only reason I know, I checked it before I recorded this to see what version I'm running. Have you noticed that since then, uh, I've noticed anyway, that instead of when you Bluetooth to a speaker like the Echo or something, if you're listening to music, instead of VoiceOver staying with the iPhone, I've noticed that now it's going onto the speaker, and I was wondering if you've noticed this, and if you know of any kind of workaround for
0: it. If I understand what you're saying, you are saying that now the behavior has reverted to the way it used to be, where voiceover is once again coming over Bluetooth speakers instead of staying with the phone. It seems like Apple can't win with this. They need a setting to toggle it either way. I thought that the feature where voiceover was staying on the phone, leaving music free to play on Bluetooth speakers was great. It made it similar to AirPlay or, for that matter, Sonos. But then there were people who objected. People on this show have objected to it and, I presume, contacted Apple Support to voice their objection. So there clearly are people who want it both ways and they need to have a, a toggle somewhere, maybe an audio Uh, In voiceover settings where you can say when you're using a Bluetooth speaker, do you want voiceover on the speaker or do you want voiceover to stay on the iPhone? Because if you are listening to music, you're rocking away and maybe you're having a bit of a party and you've got a really good Bluetooth speaker, it's kind of nice having voiceover remain on the phone while the music blasts on the speaker because you can cue tracks up without your voiceover interfering with the music that people are hearing. And that's indeed how airplay devices work, or have worked for quite a long time. Sean says, regarding speakers, the audio destination on the rotor now works with Bluetooth speakers as it is supposed to with airplay. aha so that's the secret. All right, so if you so so you do have the toggle now, this is what I thought it was supposed to do, and it was always curious to me that it never did it. So what happens now then is if iOS is not doing what you want in other words if you are having voiceover coming over your phone when you've got a Bluetooth speaker connected and you want it to come over your speaker instead or vice versa use your rotor gesture go to the audio destination option and choose change it change it to what you want Bonnie Mosen. hey! Welcome to you. have got
2: to get by the mic. I am by the bike. Oh, that, that's better. Yeah. That's better. How's it going today? I'm tired for some reason. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm lacking some sort of important mineral or what. But I've You're
0: lacking the Uber Eats mineral. Mm. We haven't had Uber Eats for four weeks now. I
2: know. The wallet likes it. But we've been having good food.
0: Yes, we have. It's
2: not like we're starving. Or to
0: anything. be honest, I'm not sure if... I want to go back to you to Uber Eats much?
2: No, we don't have to go back much, no, occasionally. No. I mean, it's going to be hard if we if and when we go back to work.
0: Because, of course, I now have to reappropriate my Uber Eats budget for the Zoom F6.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, until we go back to work, at least, in, you know, which will be a while, I think, who knows, definitely we can continue cooking.
0: Well, the quickest we'll be at work is three weeks from now because – If the cabinet makes the decision to reduce the restrictions, all that will happen is it will go from level four to level three. So neither of our offices will be open. No. And they'll probably put level three in place for at least two weeks because that's the cycle of the Mm -hmm. virus, the sort of incubation period. Mm -hmm. So we are looking at three more weeks minimum. But I hope that given that there are still a few cases lurking around there, that we'll have another couple of weeks of level four. I think we may as well get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: and then it'll be, of course, a long time before we're actually, I think, seeing people face to face. But uh, how are you feeling about it all? Good. I mean, I'm okay. It's. I mean, it's annoying that you can't go. Any. That's probably my biggest bugaboo is not being able to get out and and walk the dog properly. You know, just around the neighborhood. But we can't go into the city or go to the mall or. You know, that sort of thing. I think that's been the hardest part because there's just so many, there's just, you can, I'm getting killer calves from the hill. But, you know, that's that's about all you can do is go around this big loop. You know, you don't want to stray too far away just because there's no people just in case. There's no landmarks really in our neighborhood. So you don't want to uh, end up two miles away and have to come back. But I'm super busy at work, which is gr- absolutely loving that. Yeah, and um, so I I think, and I was talking to somebody else yesterday. I think it was I yesterday. Was yesterday, I was talking to someone they about that yet. No, still don't yesterday. think so. Don't think so. Yeah. About going back and how it's going to be very very. You, I think you're going to have to. I think we're going to have to re. Repatriate or reintroduce ourselves into society. Yeah, because it's going
0: to be kind of overwhelming. There's going to be be sensory overload going out there. Here's a question from Tracy Duffy. You may well want to have some input into this, Mm Bonnie. Is there anything on the market these days that is similar to the old Braille and speak? Whether yes or no, what would you recommend? for someone looking for a note taker in today's world. I used to use the Braille and speak to make notes, keep track of banking information and other similar tasks. I'm interested in knowing about things with or without a Braille display. My answer, Tracy, would be to get yourself a good Braille display and use the iPhone.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you want to go for the economical (laughs) model, that would definitely be it because the Braille note takers are still in the the triple, you know, the the way up their thousands of dollars. And
0: I think the question is what value do they now add? Yeah. Because with the iPhone, you could use any number of task management apps – Mm -hmm. Notes apps. I mean, we keep all our things like banking information and things securely in one password. You can use either the built-in Apple Notes app or Ulysses, which Ulysses is an amazing app to take notes. You've got the instant on functionality of a note taker. Just sort of switch it on, unlock with touch or face ID and be back where you were. I'm really not sure why one would want some sort of dedicated device these days. And they're
2: really expensive. Well, yeah, six, seven, because, because the market's dollars, small. So they have yeah, to
0: distribute yeah. the cost of manufacture over a smaller yeah. number of people.
2: Or if you have an iPhone, just go out and get a Braille display, 1500 or less, you know, 2000 at the most.
0: And the nice thing is that the Braille displays, if you get a good quality one and you look after them, the Braille displays will last you years. So all you do is just replace the iPhone occasionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I use my Focus Braille display with my iPhone a lot. And I have all my notes and meetings. Voice Dream Reader is an amazing book reader Mm -hmm. app. You can import all sorts of files in there and read with it in Braille. So that's what I would do.
2: So that's the long and short of it. Just wanted to go back to what Tanya was talking about in the last hour. Uh, You were giving her some good advice about job hunting and that in this sort of economy. There are always jobs out there. It doesn't matter how depressed the economy is. People are always hiring always look cuz you never know what might pop up. I looked for a job after the crash of 2008 and found one in 2 weeks. So, you know, you just never know when it's going to come along and upskilling, that's always a great thing. Also volunteering. I encourage anyone to volunteer because that a gives you kind of a, a purpose, puts you in a routine and a mindset. It gives you something to do, you're learning valuable skills and you're also, you never know what could come from that. And it looks good on a resume. So I encourage anybody to try to find something that they're they're interested in, volunteering, or either physically going there or uh, doing something via phone or the computer, that sort of thing. And I have a feeling in this COVID-19 world, there'll be a lot of organizations, again, community groups, they'll be looking for volunteers after it's over.
0: I think that that's one of the unsung contributions that Mushroom FM has made Mm -hmm. over the last 10 years is that for people who have had trouble getting work, what we've been able to provide is a bit of structure Mm -hmm. and blind people turning up for shows at specific times and just being a part of a team because there are people who haven't had the opportunity to be a part of a team and understand the disciplines of what it means to have someone who makes decisions about an organization and be a part of a of a collective,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so that's a that's another thing that we don't often think about in a mushroom FM context. Yeah.
2: And it's it's important. I mean, volunteering is is great, and especially in in t- You know, you're not getting paid physically, but you're getting paid in in other areas and. um other other ways and i think it's it's super important to find something that you're interested in because that helps i mean if you're gonna go volunteer somewhere that you just don't feel that great about whatever it is you're doing you know find something that really interests you music animals you know whatever your thing is and gary i can almost guarantee there's some sort of group around that or, or organization that's supporting that
0: christopher duffley says you're absolutely right I barely, if ever, use my BrailleNote Apex now that I myself have this almost married to Focus Mm. 40, and I do not regret it one bit. Mm. And, of course, the nice thing about a Braille display is you can use it with a laptop as well. Um, JAWS has outstanding Braille support. Uh, You can be in Microsoft Word and Braille into a Word document, and it's almost as if you're brailing into a grade two braille file. It's so robust. So you can do that as well. Get a good laptop and a braille display. And of course, you can flick between the two, your iPhone and the braille display. The number of Bluetooth connections, simultaneous Bluetooth connections, is a humongous plus of Christopher Duffley's Focus braille display. And of course, it is nice because you could, say, pair it with an iPhone. If you have an iPad, pair it with that. If you have a laptop, Pair it via Bluetooth with that. And if you have an Apple TV, which also supports Braille, pair it with that. It's really cool. And then you just keep your focus with you and switch to whatever you want to control.
2: The only thing I wish they would do about some of these Braille displays, the Focus, is change the shape a little bit. They're kind of hard to put, I guess, because they're long, so they really can't. Well, th- but- this is one thing
0: about the new Focus because uh-huh. they have those little bumpers on them to yeah. to protect the cells. I do find it quite a quite a tight squeeze to get it into my backpack.
2: Yeah, and it won't fit in a purse. Period. Not
0: even one of yours. No. Oh my
2: word! That's know. really saying something. I know. I carry a purse like the Queen. It won't yes. even fit in my like laptop. Why do you purse. do that? I don't know. I mm. think it's fear of missing out on something. Well, I carry a backpack and a purse, so you know I have everything. I need to downscale it, but I just can't. The phones are so big that you have to have a reasonably sized purse to put them in now. Hmm. Because you have to do the purse and wallet check. I guess I could, in all honesty, go to a smaller wallet because I don't carry cash much anymore.
0: Well, I think that's going to be one of the repercussions of COVID-19, actually, is that the demise of cash will speed up. Because who wants to touch money that's been goodness knows where? Well, money's you know, disgusting and Money anyway. is disgusting. I mean, and unwashed mean,
2: covid 19
0: Heck low, Jonathan, says Petra. Hello. hello, Jonathan and Bonnie. I presume she's brailing in my... (laughs) I love my hymns, note takers. I use mine to keep a diary. If I could do that with an iPhone, I would like to know how. I also like reading email with it. In fact, I'm writing to you right now with my U2 Mini. Yes, I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just comfortable reading braille. But, Petra, you can pair your Braille display with your iPhone and, and do email and all that kind of stuff from the iPhone in Braille and write in contracted Braille and do all those things. In terms of keeping a diary, I guess it depends on how structured your diary is. If you just keep a free-form document, you could just use any number of apps to do that on your iPhone – Ulysses is my favorite at the moment, thanks to a couple of people who have recommended it to me. You could just create a document in Ulysses. You could Braille into it with a Braille display. In fact, I think the BrailleSense products do pair as a Braille display with uh, iOS, so you could use what you have with your iPhone. Go into VoiceOver Settings, double-tap Braille, and then pair your, your device. There'll probably be like a terminal mode or something like that. If you want something more structured, people talked about I think it was called day one a couple of weeks ago on the show, which is a structured kind of journaling app for uh-huh. iOS. so you could definitely do all those things and just have the one device
2: uh, We were talking yesterday about keyboards on my zoom i can't really say it 's a zoom meeting because it- well, I guess it is a meeting. Zoom guess it is a meeting. Yeah, we were meeting. Yeah. Uh, romance writers, we, we have a meeting every week now, which is great. But apparently there is some sort of keyboard that you can get for your computer that looks just like a typewriter, old typewriter keyboard. And it sounds just like an old typewriter keyboard. And it even rings a bell. When you I mean,
0: it. sorry, but that would be quite obnoxious. Can you imagine if a whole lot of people in your office got that keyboard and it sounded <laughs> like everybody was typing on a typewriter? I mean the noise level.
2: Take you back to the old newsroom yes, days. Yes, yes, I must say. All you need is the phone ringing constantly yes. and the smoke billowing all over the place.
0: So I, I guess I've decided that perhaps there's a really morbid side of me, or something. But I, I think it's, I think it's about I'm fascinated in the way, and I'm fascinated by radio mm-hmm. and or, or media, broadcast mm-hmm. media in general, and the sort of seat mm-hmm. of the pants nature of of breaking news, breaking news. Uh, so mm-hmm. over the last weekend, which was a long weekend here, a four-day weekend, I watched coverage from various networks of the Challenger disaster and the The and entire the
2: space tragedy realm. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah.
0: Um, but what was really interesting was listening to the coverage of Apollo 13 from mm-hmm. 1970 and just hearing that sort of multiple typewriter sound in the background. I mean – why do they even do that? You'd think they could have a soundproof studio for the newscaster or whatever. But it's actually quite a cool sound to have just gently going mm-hmm. on in the background. It sounds very newsroomy even now, doesn't it?
2: Well, that's why I loved newsrooms when I'd visit them as a child. That they were just I'd like, this is what I want because it was just so cool with their typewriters. I didn't want all the smoke in my face because you'd go in and it was like – newsrooms it were – when I started disgusting. working in commercial Ugh. radio,
0: they were very smoky even there. And, and
2: then they had c- dirty coffee t- cups laying all over the place and f- ashtrays overflowing into the inbox and the re- phone ringing. It was great.
0: Going back to keeping a diary, mm-hmm. as – Gwendolyn Fairfax says, in the importance of being earnest, I always keep a diary. One should always have something sensational to read on the train. Uh, (laughs) But but, uh, Michael Fair, hey, Michael Fair. Yeah, he says, there are apps specifically for keeping a diary. The most popular seems to be one called Day One Journal. That's right. We were talking about this on the show a couple of weeks ago. It's fully accessible. This is a very good point that Sarah makes. It was a teletype that you used to hear on the news. Yep. Um, wasn't it? Yes, I think that's right. And I yeah, remember um, going into service, yeah. when the very first radio show I ever did when I was four. <laughs> Do you realize I'm coming up to 50 years mm-hmm. on the radio in a cool. few years? Cool. That is really ridiculous, isn't it? Anyway. Uh, I remember remember very, very clearly going into that studio for the first time and the teletype machine was going. You're you're absolutely right. That was the teletype machine. Sometimes I call it the talix machine, I think. Talix, yeah. Yeah, the talix machine. And it was a pain
2: in the butt being a journalist back in the day. I mean, even till I don't know how late it was, but the print type, you know, they had to set the – it was. It wasn't as simple as writing your article and sending it over to your editor. I mean, there was a whole process. If there had to be certain columns, and you know, visually, if they they set the type for the, the paper.
0: Yes, yeah, so I wonder how blind journalists got on them. Did that? They have sighted assistants. They had to. Yeah. They
2: had to because it was cause I remember journalism class in uh, high school. You know, they had the teacher had to do. It. You had to. You know, the, they had to help with the. The whole thing—it wasn't like today. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, lucky, Luxury. lucky today. yeah. Aye. but the, but it'll come back. You know, everything returns. So at some point, there'll be some media mogul, So Let's go back to let's the go old back days. to the
0: yeah, and, and then and then in the in the studio of the radio station where <laughs> they bring the teletype back. Yeah. there'll be a couple of turntables and a cassette machine. Yes, yeah, because so, it,
2: I don't know what the heck it is, but yeah, <laughs> it, it happens that way. But.
0: Um, You know what I would really like to do? I would love to actually do a Mosin Explosion show or or some sort of show on a re-kitted pirate radio ship out somewhere, you know, in in the sea somewhere in the world with a couple of turntables. And and I'd I'd love to do that. Why don't
2: you just commandeer the uh, ferry? especially last week when they had that huge wave and the ferry was like ha- almost capsizing.
0: I mean, that would be an experience. You could do it on a that ferry. Would be an experience. You're going to have to kit out the studio properly. and You don't want to cheat with this. You don't want to just take a computer out there. You, you, you need to do the whole experience with the turntable, And then you get a big wave and the stylus goes whoop, across the record. Oh, yeah. my word. Sarah says, I visited-, I visited my mom's work when I was four. And they showed me the telex machine and I started pushing buttons and it went crazy. They had to call a techie to shut it off. I remember it had lots of buttons on it, Sarah. Trust you. What did you you
2: do, Sarah? Did you send like a breaking news story?
0: Yeah. Just as well it wasn't the Pentagon's Oh gee. Email from Francisco who says, hello, Jonathan. One of my goals during this time of self-isolation is to build a personal blog. Since you have a lot of experience with this, I would like to know where would you host it? I plan to use WordPress. And also, I'm wondering if you have some tips on which template to use or anything you think I should know to create a good looking website as a blind person. You can use wordpress.com if you want, but I've always self-hosted. So by that, I mean I've gone with a hosting company and got web hosting. Perhaps if you're just starting out, you could use shared web hosting where you share a server with a bunch of people. That should be perfectly adequate for a blog. And then you can install an installation of WordPress. Most shared hosting companies have a kind of a control panel like cPanel or similar, where you can install a fresh copy of WordPress on your system and configure it. The default WordPress configuration is quite visually pleasing and fully accessible, but you can definitely get a lot of themes. Some of them are free and some of them you have to pay for. I would personally use someone you trust, who perhaps has a bit of geek creds, to look at the various themes and decide what looks like it would be an option. So you probably want to go with something that is not the vanilla general WordPress theme that everybody's using. That looks good. Jane Jordan, on the subject of how blind journalists from days of yore might have gotten on, She says that I heard an NPR article about a journalist who used an opticon to read talixes and things like that. And, you know, for all of the advancements that we've made as blind people in technology, I'm not really sure that anything has quite replaced the opticon. And there are still people who guard those opticons like the crown jewels because they have become so proficient with them and they would really have a serious loss of functionality and quality of life if they didn't have access to them. Isn't it interesting that for all these advancements, nothing has really replaced it? I guess the closest thing is being able to use the Seeing AI app in instant mode. And I guess Envision might be also in that category where you can just hold the camera above something and it instantly starts to read what it can see. That's pretty cool. And you do get handwriting recognition with these apps now as well. And that was something that the Opticon could do if you got really good with the Opticon. But it's strange, isn't it? You'd think there was a market, perhaps it's just not a big enough market for people who know their print letters well enough. And maybe that's why we don't have a kind of a a, a new generation Opticon. Pretty advanced game-changing technology for its time, wasn't it? And some people had a lot of trouble with it, just struggled with the, the print letters. And I guess it was a little bit laborious. But like everything with practice, it was quite incredible how proficient some people can be. And I know that Petra, who listens to the show, I think still is a major Opticon ninja and used to use the Opticon in all sorts of interesting vocational contexts. Petra's back again with more musings on the note taker subject. I do have my U2 Mini connected to my iPhone. I like keeping my diary on my Mini because other people can't read it. Thanks for talking about the new iPhone SE. I'm excited. What you can do though, Petra, is a lot of these diary apps and in fact many document apps can offer Face ID or Touch ID, you know, biometric authentication protection. So I can protect certain documents And you can do this in the Apple Notes app as well, so that only you and you alone can unlock it.
1: Mosin at Large Podcast.
0: Dean Calder is in Australia, and he says, hey, Jonathan, just wondering, does the Focus 40 or 14 for that matter, I guess, fifth generation have a standalone mode equivalent like in the Orbit Reader? Yes, I mean, to some degree, it has what they call a scratch pad. So you can write documents on the Focus standalone. Then it has standalone JAWS integration. So you can upload those documents directly into Microsoft Word using JAWS as a conduit. And that's kind of cool. And then you can do your serious editing and applying of formatting and that kind of thing. It also has a clock and a calendar, a few things like that. It's not a fully-fledged note-taker, though, and the one thing that I would like to see in the scratch pad and the Focus is it doesn't do Word Wrap, which I find quite frustrating. But you can Braille and contracted Braille and then send it into Word through JAWS, and it will do the back translation and things of that nature. It's got a book reader function. So if you have a library that gives you BRF files, you can use that as well. So... Hope that helps, Dean. And I tell you what, it's a lot quieter than the last orbit I heard as well, which is is pretty noisy. I really would love an opticon, says Jane. I'd love to be able to see what print really looks like. And that's the thing. You could tell the different fonts and things like that. Ian Lackey says the real problem with the opticon was that the user had to do all the heavy lifting. And you can imagine the noise in an office full of opticons. Yeah, it was kind of like a bunch of angry bees. But, I mean, it was 1970s technology. I'm sure that they could make the Opticon now in a way that didn't make that dreadful noise. I'm sure they could. But there just mustn't be a market for it, or someone will have done it. Ian has reminded me to mention the Archers. The Archers has been going continuously since 1951, and I'm sure Ian will correct me if he knows differently. But I don't think there's ever been a break. It's a continuous radio drama going since 1951. And now, technically speaking, there is going to be a break due to COVID-19. There are certain things that go on that remind you just how game-changing this virus is. They've been slowing down the episodes of The arches, They've taken a day off the schedule in the last few weeks, which has made it very confusing because gradually <laughs> The arches is getting more and more out of sync with reality. So they're making Easter weekend references long after Easter is over and that sort of thing. And that will wrap up in early May. And what they were hoping to do was then switch to a, different, a slightly different format for The arches, where the actors are recording from home probably using technology like clean feed. It could even be clean feed. The BBC has access to various technologies, of course, of that ilk. And they were going to hope to keep the Archers going. They reworked the script to require fewer actors, but they're not quite ready. And so there's going to be, I think it's a three-week break where the Archers is delving into its considerable archives but that doesn't really count as new material, does it? So for the first time, as uh, I, uh, as far as I'm aware, since 1951, the Archers will be taking a break. What a shame that that long streak is coming to an end. It just goes to show how significant all this is. Brian Borowski regarding the Opticon says, it is a wonderful, irreplaceable device. I have a couple of them. And they are so useful for looking at diagrams, schematic diagrams, maps, even to some extent pictures. You really can truly see things as they are, notwithstanding some minor limitations. Neither of mine have batteries in them. I have 5 volt power supplies that I've modified for their use. And, of course, had to make some circuitry modifications in the Opticon to accommodate their use. But they still work fine. I'm not sure what one can do for certain things without them. I've even used them to look at stuff on the iMac screen as well after making adjustments to the screen. See, so why hasn't some AT company come along and come up with a new version Interesting, isn't it? Perhaps it's just a few people who find them as handy as they apparently do. Because you'd think if there was a market for them, somebody would do it. And just before we go, a reminder that next week on the podcast, it will be excerpts from the tribute show that we'll be doing at the very time that Mushroom FM began 10 years ago. What an amazing ride it has been. Thanks to listeners. And if you would like to leave a contribution for that special show where Mushroom FM will be the sole topic of conversation, whether you've worked with us over the past 10 years at some point or you've listened to us at some point over the last 10 years, then we would love to get that message for what is a very celebratory show. To get it in, just use the standard ways of getting in touch with the podcast, and we'll be playing a selection of messages next week. And a final reminder about Mushroom Stock. This is Mushroom FM's special celebratory virtual music festival where we have some really top acts performing we all assemble in a virtual stadium where no social distancing or anything like that is required and all you have to do to get a free ticket is to head on over to the website And grab one or two, you know, if you've got family, get them all signed up, crank up your best speakers at 8 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time on the 26th of April, and we'll be getting underway with Mushroom Stock. And that site to go to is mushroomfm.com slash mushroomstock2020. That's mushroomfm.com slash mushroomstock2020. 2020, 10 years in internet land is quite an achievement. We're going to have a lot of fun celebrating in various ways next weekend. We'd love for you to be a part of it.